Hello and welcome to the B-Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Uh, I'm here to record this week's installment of The Pull List. A little late. Um, holiday weekend and all that. So, uh, and I only have eight books this week, so it shouldn't be too bad to uh, do that. Um, so let's get right to it. We're going to start with uh, Beta Ray Bill number four with writing and art by... Uh, oh crap uh, Daniel Warren Johnson sorry um, this picks up from last issue where Bill and his spaceship and his homies are in Muspelheim trying to find Bill a new weapon because his hammer's gone after the, the storyline in the Thor book with Donald Blake um, this is basically uh, the, the demon thing that they're dealing with is making all of them relive their worst memories and stuff, and, uh, for Bill, we mostly see, I guess, whether this is what his original origin was, or how they're retconning it, maybe, um, that he, I had always thought that the reason he turned into that weird horse thing was because of the, the magic of the hammer, I guess, and in reality, or in what this comic posits is that that was something that was done to him by his own people to make him a better fighter or whatever. And it mostly goes into like how traumatic that was for him. And now he's kind of stuck that way because he needs the, the magic of a hammer to change out of that. He's been stuck that way this entire time. And since that hammer got wrecked, um, not a lot of forward movement story-wise, but this, you know, if you don't know much about this character, um, this is a nice way to be acclimated with this. I haven't read a lot of the old Thor stuff that this come that this character uh, comes from. I own a lot of it, but just haven't had time to read a lot of that stuff. Um, and I've owned it for a couple of years, which is kind of sad. Um, but you know, good solid little series. I still have a theory that he's somehow going to show up in Love and Thunder, and that's why they're doing all this. Um, but. You know, we'll see if I'm right about that or not. Uh, I have been wrong about predictions in Marvel movies before. I just have a feeling that with the, you know, the fact that they're doing this series now, and I wouldn't be shocked if he starts to show up in other places. He was in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy for a little bit recently, um, before the current iteration at least. Um, so they have sort of been uh, upping his profile in recent years, so I feel like a movie appearance is not too far away for him, um, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, next up we have, and I think the next issue of this Beta Ray Bill thing will be the last, uh, so whether, I don't, I don't really think they give Bill a, a solo full-on series out of this, but they could. Um, next up we have, uh, Black Knight, Curse of, the Ebony, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number four, uh, written by Cy Spurrier with art by, uh, crap, I'm blanking, this is what happens when you try to record this at, like, 11.30 at night, uh, written by Cy Spurrier and art by Sergio Davila. So this has, uh, basically has Dane fighting Morgrid, um, for pretty much the entire issue, and... Uh, gives you some background that sort of recontextualizes um, a lot of the Camelot stuff 
uh, in the Marvel Universe. I don't know if they have plans to use Camelot for something in the near future beyond this series, and that's why they're setting this up, but there's a lot of stuff about how, you know, uh, Camelot was way more debaucherous than, like, what the myths tell you it was, where it was, like, this entire city that was, like, this paragon of virtue situation, and Arthur was this really, like, upstanding dude, but in actuality, like, Arthur was a giant dickhead, and, uh, and apparently, you know, Mordred that we see fighting Dane in here is actually his son, but it's his son by incest, uh, and Merlin uses his magic to, like, cover up all this horrible shit about Camelot, uh, to try to protect the image of the city and the people in it, um, and this is also kind of, this whole series has kind of recontextualized the whole Black Knight thing, because in the 80s and 90s, when this character was a big deal, like, he was on the Avengers for years on end, and he became one of the, like, focus characters of that book at that time, because it always tended to, and it still does, uh, primarily focus on the characters who don't have their own solo books as the focus point, and he was a lot of the focus point in the 80s and 90s, and it became, like, you know, how he was this, like, really, 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 really virtuous guy, and that was the only reason he was able to have the ebony blade and not have it destroy him, because it was it's supposed to be cursed and it's supposed to corrupt the people that are that are using it. Um, but this series kind of recontextualizes that in that actually it's it preys on weaker people because it's able to you know it has it ha the magic is able to like uh, power itself off of like all of their negative emotions and stuff, so you find out that, like, it's gravitating toward Dane because he's a weakling, and he doesn't have, you know, and he's prone to anger and, and kind of almost like insanity, in a way, um, and I'm sure, you know, that they'll, there's one more installment of this, probably next month, and I'm sure they'll try to, like, salvage this character somewhat before he appears in that Eternals movie in November, um, so, it also could be that he's not that big of a deal in that movie, either. Um, but I've learned to never, uh, never necessarily question, you know, that they're not, that Marvel's not willing to use any, any named character that they put in somewhere can always be spun out into something else. Um, so I'm trying not to judge that, especially, uh, so, let's see, that moves us to Daredevil 31. Um, I'm going to look up the art and stuff, because it doesn't occur to me right now who that was. Um, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Mike Hawthorne. I think I read Hawthorne is leaving this book to go do some creator-owned thing soon, so maybe there will be an artist change here. Art's pretty good in here, so, you know, I don't necessarily want to see Hawthorne go away. The stuff's been pretty solid in here. Um, this issue, on the other hand, was pretty boring. Uh, felt like a placeholder thing before it got into the next big chapter of this arc. Like, there's more stuff about, more stuff with Matt pontificating in prison about, uh, how he's agreed to be an informant because 
uh, the FBI or somebody thinks there's some illegal labor going on in this prison, and he's agreed to help them figure that out, but, you know, they offered him, you know, they let him out once he did that, and he's like, no, you can't let me out, I still have to serve this term and whatever, and, uh, it's just coming off as really boring to me, like, I don't, unless this is gonna go somewhere, I'm really getting tired of every issue, whenever, however much of it they devote to Matt, is just, like, him essentially whining about, like, you know, I deserve to be in here, and I have to sit here, and, you know, and I know a big component of the Daredevil character has always been, like, Catholic guilt and whatnot, so if that's the way they're choosing to express that in this, with this writer and all that, great, I guess, um, let's move on, please, um, this is why I continue to make the argument that they should have just taken Matt out of this book entirely for however long he was going to be in prison for, and maybe if you want to do the prison stuff as a side miniseries or something, do that but it doesn't really work as half of a monthly book where there's not going to be any progress made because the idea is for the character not to progress while he's rotting in prison. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, as far as Electra goes, she just goes around and beats some people up because uh, she's mad about something. I think she's mad that that little girl that she's mentoring like told her she was an asshole or something. Um... So she goes around and beats some people up after that, and then you're shown that Bullseye has gotten out of Ravencroft, and he's going to go, his goal is to kill every single person in New York. So I guess he's going to start trying to do that, and that's probably going to be the next arc of this book, is her trying to deal with Bullseye, and Matt probably still sitting and whining about being in prison. Uh, so yay to that. <laughs> um... I am enjoying the Electra stuff here, at least, and uh, if the stuff with Matt took an angle other than I deserve to sit here and rot, um, they should either do it less or just find something else for him to do, because otherwise it's painfully bad. Um, what are we heading for next here? We're going to hit uh, Giant Size Amazing Spider-Man... The Chameleon, Chameleon Conspiracy Number 1, written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson, with art by Marcelo Ferreira, Carlos Gomez, Zay Carlos, and I.G. Guara. Um, would help me for the purposes of reading, of uh, trying to review this, to not put two guys with both with Carlos and their names too close together. I started to confuse them. I thought they were the same person. Uh, but clearly they're not, so made sure I read those credits with the credit page in front of me instead of trying to sometimes pull them off the top of my head like I do on occasion. Um, so this is the wrap-up to that chameleon conspiracy story that they've been doing for a couple of months, and I think this is the last story before uh, Sinister War, which we now know is probably going to be the last... Peter Parker story for a while, as Ben Riley will be taking this book over at 75. Um, the Peter Parker half of this was mostly just him fighting the foreigners dudes to keep that uh, device that shows people the future that his college lab partner invented uh, away from, from the foreigners, bad guys and whatever. Uh, and that stuff was fine. Uh, 
not sure we needed a $6 one-shot for that, but uh, it was fine, you know. I'm, and then the, uh, the part of this that actually involves the chameleon goes in a way that I'm not even sure what the point was now, because apparently the whole thing between the chameleon and, and Peter's weird sister, not sister, the Teresa Parker person, was that, you know, she's trying to figure out her history because, you know, she's obviously, uh, I mean, anybody reading this stuff would know that she's basically just a walking retcon, and I think it's their way of acknowledging that, but it sort of uh, sets up this idea that there is more than one chameleon because he was basically the product of something like the Red Room, where there were a lot of them, and he just happens to be the only one we've ever seen, uh, which is a neat idea, and uh, everything, and they also bring up the possibility that Teresa Parker might actually be one of those people, which is also kind of a neat idea, um, if that's what they're if that's what they're going to do with that, I guess. It's sort of left unclear at the end. Uh, but I also question, like, why you would bring that into a... why you would bring that into a run so late, you know, given that this Nick Spencer, as good as this run has been, only has one story left. Um, so unless, you know... Unless Teresa Parker is going to show up while Ben is in charge of the book and this thing with the multiple chameleons is going to come back there, I don't know... Or maybe he's just leaving that out there for some other writer after him to pick up in some way later, um, which is also possible. And I always read this, so it's not like I'm going to miss that. They do it two, three, four, five years from now, I'll still see it, because uh, I always read this. Um, so it was fine. I just don't know if this was enough to be, you know, that $5 one-shot, or 5 or $6 one-shot price point. It seemed not like it wasn't enough for that or that maybe this story didn't have enough behind it to really justify that it felt like it felt like a placeholder story before they got into the sinister war thing which is what spencer really wants to tell i feel like um and that's fine that's you know as the guy writing the book and if he cleared that with marvel that's his prerogative to do that so i'm certainly not gonna argue that um I am really, I'm curious to see what this Sinister War thing ends up being. I know there, it's going to be uh, regular issues of Amazing Spider-Man, I believe. I want to say, like, uh, 68 through 73 or something like that. And then there's going to be a four-issue miniseries to the side of it. Um, the main Sinister War thing, I think, is going to be the miniseries, and then the issues of Amazing Spider-Man will be tie-ins of some kind, um, but that will essentially be the end of Spencer's run, as I think he's ending with 74, and then the, the multi-writer thing with Ben Riley takes over at 75, um, so if they are, you know, they're heavily intimating that Peter's going to be killed or incapacitated after this, and that's what gets Ben into the picture again, um, I would be interested if they actually did that. Like, if they were, you know, obviously they're not going to kill Peter Parker forever. They're going to have some uh, comic book uh, comic book magical thinking way of reversing that at some point whenever whatever writer gets the book and decides they want to bring him back. Um, 
but I mean, I would appreciate if they, if they're going to do that, if he's not just going to hang up the webs for a period of time again, uh, like he did in the Clone Saga, um, if they're going to do something quote-unquote final to start this off, like, you know, if they do kill him off, I would appreciate if they, if he does appear to die, and it's not like Superior Spider-Man, where like, you know, uh, uh, Octavius is in his body for however long that was, like a couple of months, but like the minute that starts, you see like he's got the ghost of Peter hanging out in the back of his head. Like, that was the thing I didn't really like. I liked that book a lot, but that, the idea that Peter never really left it was one of the things I didn't really like all that much. Like, to me, if you're gonna do something like that, make the at least temporary commitment to, if you're gonna replace your main character, at least make the temporary commitment to do that, instead of, like, let's do it with a half-ass out right away. Um, and then it's just a question of when are we gonna pull the trigger on that out. So... Um, and I know it's like five writers, so we'll see what that committee of writers decides they want to do with this book. Um, so, I'm curious. It's not, you know, and I know, uh, Solid and Ahmed's been writing Miles for a year or two, so, you know, at least he's familiar with that whole kind of thing, and I like Zeb Wells a lot. It doesn't seem to me like he's done a lot lately. Uh, maybe he's just done stuff I haven't read, I don't know. Um, but anyway, enough about... Spider-Man until the next one comes up. Um, I have other books to get to, and I don't want to be doing this all night, because it's already uh, midnight, and I have to get up at 5.30 for work. So <laughs> let's let's keep going. Uh, Shang-Chi number two, written by Jean Lu and Yang, with art by DK Ruan. I hope I'm saying that guy's name right, but, you know, without a pronunciation guide, who knows. Um, this is way better than that miniseries was. I hated that miniseries, uh, just because I just thought it was, you know, Shang-Chi's not an established enough character for me to really care about that, what they did in that miniseries, like, introducing this family he never knew he had and whatever, and obviously they're using that as, as the launching point for this, this series that they're now doing, where he's in charge of that family's, uh, criminal organization, and he has to, like, outwardly appear to be a criminal while dealing with, while still trying to keep his reputation with the the heroes of the Marvel Universe, which he's trying to do. It's not like the rest of the, the family people care about that or not. Um, so this one, um, it looks to me like so far, and obviously this is only two issues in, but it looks so far like this book is just going to be a bunch of one-offs where he's running into different heroes and stuff. Uh, maybe as it goes out, they'll get multi-part stories going. I don't know. But, um... So, the, the main thrust of this is that he goes to... He goes with his family members to an auction where a cosmic cube is being auctioned off. And you would think that he would want, you know, this criminal organization he's now the head of, he would at least uh, have to go through the appearances of trying to procure that cube for his, for his organization. He doesn't really do that. He just, uh, Captain America shows up and busts up the auction, and rather than trying to stop that, which you would think maybe he would try to do if he was trying to, if Shang-Chi was trying to still make people believe that he was a criminal, he doesn't actually do that. He actually works with Captain America to get the cube into 
Captain America's hands, and his family members get all pissed, and he's like, look, I get what you're trying to do, obviously this is what, this is what criminals would do in this situation, but I've seen these Cosmic Cube things, this is way over our heads, we have to make sure that, um, somebody like him gets this thing, and, uh, so, you know, it does show he largely works with Captain America, the cover's kind of misleading, because the cover shows him attacking Captain America with the shield and stuff, so I thought it was going to be some kind of drag out between them, and it wasn't, um, so he's trying to, like, maintain his positive image in front of Captain America, we'll see if the later issues where he's probably dealing with other uh, heroes and stuff, where that becomes more of a question, like he's trying to, trying to maintain his morality while still, while trying to also put out the appearance that he's, he's actually a committed criminal, um, so eventually I would hope maybe this, this issue, this book sort of becomes like, and this is high praise probably, but that it sort of becomes like The Departed in a way, where like, the Leonardo DiCaprio has to, character has to like fake his way through a criminal life to try to get to the end point that he's trying to get to. Um, but you know, I'm not gonna, it's, it's fun. It's way more fun than that miniseries was. And I think it's a smart move to like come up with it before this character has a movie coming out in like a couple of months. It's a smart move to, um, to do something like this where uh, your audience can familiarize themselves with him uh, and you show that he can he can play along with uh, the other big-time heroes in this universe, uh, which, given what his history is, I would, if I wasn't somebody who was familiar with it, I would question that. Um, so... Yeah, very successful two issues in. I hope this goes for a good while, because uh, I am curious to see where this, this can be taken. Um, so, next up we have um, The United States of Captain America, number one, written by Christopher Cantwell, with art by Dale Eaglesham. Um, this is a, uh, I believe, five or six issue miniseries meant to commemorate the 80th anniversary of Captain America. Um, the basic plot is that uh, Steve Rogers has the shield stolen from him, and he just, he has to go out and he gets uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, to help him out, try to go recover the shield, and they, they go to a a, a train yard or something and uh, find this this like teenage boy who's you know wearing the Captain America a version of the Captain America get up and has a, sh a shield and stuff it looks like it's like a garbage can lid or something and he's like defending people on the on the railways of all things um, and I think uh, basically what this book is going to do is like you know, they're gonna, it's gonna become like a cross-country road trip sort of thing, and they're going to like, you know, it's also going to involve John Walker, U.S. agent, and Bucky Barnes, and the four of them are gonna go across the country to try to, or to wherever, to try to get the shield back from whoever stole it, and they're also going to encounter all these other people that are like, using 
Steve's iconography for reasons, uh, depending on what those reasons are. Um, and they were promoting a lot of these, like, side characters that they were coming up with, like, alternate Captain Americas and stuff. I actually thought they were going to be, like, uh, just, like, side stories that weren't going to have it, that were just going to pad out the page count of these, these issues and not have anything to do with the actual story itself. But apparently this book posits that there is, like, a network of people that are, that are, like, being, like, fake Captain Americas across the country, so I guess they're gonna try to, like, go, uh, go have encounters with those people or something. Um, I'm reading this because I try to read everything with the words Captain America on the cover now. Uh, I've liked everything pretty much that's been, liked everything to varying degrees, that's been put out since the Brubaker run, which is the first thing I really read. Um, already sort of questioning this purchase and whether the rest of this is worthwhile, but I'm going to give it a couple more. And, you know, if the whole point is the, the four Captain Americas running around doing stuff, I might as well give it until the other two show up and see what the four of them together end up doing. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be, you know, a lot of uh, John Walker being a meathead. Um, as that's generally what they do with him a lot of the time, uh, and, uh, Bucky being all secretive and shit, because that's also what they do with him a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, not a terrible read, it's just not as good as I was hoping for the, for the price point that it asked for as well, I was kind of disappointed, because I think it's a higher page count than a lot of things that are coming out regularly, and I was hoping it would be better than this. But I'm interested enough at least to give it a couple more and see where it ends up. Um, next up we have, and we only have two left because I only read like six or eight this week. Um, we have X-Factor 10, written by Leah Williams with art by David Baldion. This is the last installment of the Hellfire Gala thing. Um, and this is also the last issue of this book, which is unfortunate. I was enjoying this one quite a bit. I generally liked X-Factor. You know, the Peter David stuff was uh, great. Love that. Read that on principle every other year or so, just because it's so good. Um, this was kind of going for a similar vibe to that, just like the kind of offbeat characters put together for reasons. Um, they were basically the the team that would go out and inve investigate whether people mutants died legitimately and whether they needed, whether they could justify resurrection or not, um, which was a neat idea considering that, you know, it would be one of the repercussions of this idea that mutants basically can't die anymore. Um, so hopefully if this, if this didn't sell enough to keep doing as a book, maybe hopefully these X-Factor characters will continue to show up elsewhere to, uh, continue that sort of angle of the, of the story. Um, so, uh, this being that this is the last part of the Hellfire Gala, and you know, going, if you've been, if you've been reading this, you know this is the last planned issue for this, um, there's really not a lot of forward movement, it's basically closing a lot of things off, like, it's just a lot of character interactions, um, during the party thing, and, you know, that stuff's fun if you've been reading it, but it's kind of hard to recount that for review purposes, it's just like... You know, I don't know how interesting it is for me to really go like, well, then this character said this. 
And it's like, um, no, that's stupid. No. Um, there was an angle of this where, uh, during the gala thing, they also cut to, I'm not sure chronologically where this was supposed to take place. It was a little jarring for that. I got the sense it was supposed to be in maybe a slightly different time period that, you know, they weren't really acknowledging. But Prodigy, one of the members of this team, uh, he was in, I want to say, California. And he was, you know, they. I forgot that at the beginning of this book they had said that Prodigy had a resurrection for unknown reasons that they didn't really get into. And I think you were supposed to remember that nine issues later. <laughs> and where it turns out that he was killed by, and he is a black male in his 20s probably, and he was killed by uh, a serial killer in California who was targeting uh, young gay black men. And uh, and so he then, you know, there, there's a whole thing about he finds the guy, he remembers where the guy was, and he goes to him again with the, the members of X-Factor, and they, I believe they, uh, they arrest him or something. Um, it was just like... It, I know the idea that he had died without explanation was something they had brought up in like issue one or two, but then it was completely dropped for seven or eight months, and I completely forgot about it, and that they used like a third of this book on that when I didn't even remember that it had taken place in the first place. Uh, um, it was still an interesting read, uh, but I feel like if I had remembered that side plot that they barely gave any attention to early on, uh, that part of this, you know, the resolution of that eight or nine months later would have come across better for me than it ends up doing. Um, and the big thing, uh, which I'm just going to say, because I'm, I'm pretty sure if you pay attention to the comics internet, it's already all over the fucking place, um, is that uh, there had been, I believe it was in the sword issue of this Hellfire Gala story last week, there had been an interaction between Magneto and his sort of daughter, not really daughter, whatever the 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 Marvel continuity people say she is right now. I think they've said she was she's not a mutant anymore. I guess um, there was an interaction between Magneto and the Scarlet Witch, and in this issue, at the end of this issue, you find. Prodigy and Speed, who is uh, one of Wanda's children uh, from Young Avengers, uh, come across her dead body, um, and that is apparently going to be the inciting event for this Trial of Magneto thing that's coming in August, because it seems to me that the belief is that Magneto killed her. Um, so... I guess that will play out over however that that story is going to be delivered. I'm not entirely sure. I think it might be a, a mini-series with tie-ins or whatever. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing there. Um, I will probably read it, as I've been reading this entire line anyway, and I don't see any reason to stop now, uh, given uh, how far in we are. Um, and most of it's been pretty good, so I don't really have... Uh, um, I don't really have uh, quality issues with a lot of it, so might as well keep going. Uh, 
And our last book of the week is uh, Cable 11, written by, I want to say, Jerry Duggan, with art by Phil Noto. My computer's being weird, and I can't look it up right now. Um, so I believe those two have done pretty much the entire book to this point, so I'm going to assume that's still the case. Um, this is the one X-book this month that had nothing to do with this Hellfire Gala thing. Um, because this book is actually ending at 12, so I don't think they wanted to make the next last, last issue something that was going to be bogged down with that shit. Um, I actually read this before reading, uh, X-Factor 10, because I liked the X-Factor book and knew that one was going to be the last, so I wanted to save it for last, um, and I should have read X-Factor 10 before this one, uh, I don't think there's anything where anything spoils anything in that order, but, you know, if I had known that the cable issue was supposed to be after the, the Hellfire thing, I might have done that differently. Um, but this issue is basically, uh, young Cable has this idea that he has to, has to resurrect old Cable because he needs help dealing with, uh, Strife. Strife is around and kidnapping mutant babies, and he obviously has some sort of plan to use that to take over the world somehow. They don't really get into, um too much in the way of particulars with that, unless they did it at the beginning of the series, and I have once again forgotten what those things were, um, but this was basically the, the young Nate recruits a team issue to help him go deal with this, um, so that is, um, I'm pretty sure that team includes Domino, and Deadpool, and, uh, Cyclops, and Gene, and, uh, <laughs> and there's, there may be one of the uh, Stepford Cuckoos, who I'm pretty sure he's dating, or was, or is, or whatever. Um, so, this is mostly just set up. I'm sure 12 will have the big fight in it. Uh, old Cable does get resurrected. It's un I would assume that means that Young Cable is going to go away after, after issue 12. Um, that kind of makes sense to me. Uh, as we know that the if you've been paying attention to this, they announced another Cable book coming out of this that I believe is going to be called Cable Reloaded, and we'll, f we'll focus on the older version again. Whether maybe both of them are in it or not, I don't know. But uh, it looks like mostly the all the covers have the older one on it, so I don't know if it's going to be both. Um, I suppose that's possible, but we'll see what they end up doing there. Uh, I'm curious to read that. Um, I have liked the Young Cable dynamic. It's a different way to look at this character, I guess. And, uh, you know, I enjoy old pouches with no feet Cable as much as any anyone. Uh, I know Stephen Becker's really excited for the, the X-Force one-shot that's coming. I believe, uh, you put something, I believe, Steve, you put something on our Facebook group page about, uh, who's ready for more pouches with no feet. Um, don't know that I'll be reading that. I tend not to do the one-shots all that much, but, um, I'm glad somebody's in for that. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I think that pretty much covers our books for this week. 
let's take a look at uh, at uh, next week. Um, let's see. Amazing Spider-Man 70, Avengers 46, Batman 110, uh, Captain America 30, which is the end of the Tanasi Coates run, so uh, we'll talk about that run as a whole at that point. Um, Children of the Atom number 5, Why God is another one of these coming out so quickly. Uh, I need a month to recuperate from that shit. Um, Green Lantern 4, uh, Hellions 13, Immortal Hulk, I want to say 48, uh, was I right about that? Let's see, uh, yeah, Immortal Hulk 48, Justice League 64, um, Suicide Squad 5, X-Force 21, and... Uh, X-Men number one. This is the new one written by uh, Jerry Duggan uh, that will take that new team that was unveiled during the Hellfire Gala thing. Uh, I think they're going to be the focus of that book. Um, So one point I wanted to make about uh, X-Factor 10 that I forgot that I want to go back and mention is that, you know, like I said, most of the book was like final character interactions with a lot of the characters in this book. And I feel like, you know, that's great, I guess, if that's what you want to do. If that's a, that's a lot of how a lot of these team books end like that. But <laughs> it just kind of felt like, you know, other than <laughs> the whole thing sort of had this tone of like, other than Polaris, because she's in the new, uh, the new X-Men book that's coming out, none of these characters are ever going to be used again. So have fun. Um, and I'm sure Daken, or Duckin, or however you say his fucking name, will get used again for something down the road, probably involving his father, um, because that seems to be what he's always used for, um, you know, I'd be way more interested to see a, a story with him in it that's not framed through Wolverine, but they're never going to do that, uh, at least I don't think so, um, so hope everyone enjoyed their... 4th of July weekend and stuff. I have insomnia right now, so that's why I'm recording this at 11.30 at night, or whatever time it is now. It is actually 12.17 a.m. Central as I am wrapping this up. Uh, So, yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed their 4th of July. Um, We do have some stuff planned coming up soon. I know uh, Boris and I have recorded a couple more of the Star Trek Away Missions podcasts. Uh, we have um, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4, Episode 3, Brothers in the can. That one will come out in a couple days. Uh, we also have um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 2, Episode 22, The Wire, done. Um, and that will come out at some point in the next week, week and a half. Uh, we have the next two selections made. He wants to do, uh, Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, Episode 5, Unexpected. And I have selected for my next one, uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Um, mostly because he had made, we were talking about 
something in one of the previous ones, one of the ones that's out already, I think maybe the, the one for Timeless, perhaps, was where this came up. He had made a point that uh, he per he liked Insurrection, the movie, better than more than a lot of people did, and it's always struck me as a uh, as a overproduced episode of television. So I thought we could have a an interesting debate about you know how good is this thing really, or what am I, what is good about this that I'm not seeing, because uh, I you know. I'm always up for debate about stuff like that, and it's possible that this movie is better than I realize it is, uh, because it's probably my least favorite of the Next Generation movies, um, just because it feels like an idea they should have done on TV, and it's not worth a film, uh, but we'll get into that more when we actually record that. Uh, and I know we also are planning on... Uh, movie review pods for Black Widow, uh, which, as I'm recording this, releases on Friday uh, to theaters and Disney+. Plus. I'm not sure whether we will get to the Black Widow review right away as a couple... You know, I'm going to see it on Saturday, but I don't know what the rest of the guys are doing. Um, and we might wait a week or two... might wait a week to do it um, just because, you know we might want Brent to be around if he wants to do that. Um, we also have the Loki review coming soon. Um, that probably will not be, uh, the week immediately after release, because I'm going out of town for a week, and, uh, we decided we all want to do that one together. That'll probably be the one where, most likely be the one where Brent comes back after being away for a couple of months. So, uh, we wanted to had that probably be the one that the four of us came back for. So uh, we will wait a week to do that, if necessary, to uh, engineer that, and uh, that'll give people time to finish the show more or rewatch it if that's what they want to do before we discuss it. Um, so, yeah, before I continue to blather, as I'm at 42 minutes here, uh, as I said, I hope everybody had a great 4th of July, and... Uh, watch this space for uh, some more releases this week um, and we'll continue to plan content for you in the future which I know we're, we're um, we have some ideas that were on that original schedule that I put in our Facebook group that we still haven't done and didn't didn't do when we said we were going to but we never really stopped putting stuff out so uh, just kind of a shift shift based on people's availability and uh, new release movies and stuff sort of uh, sort of preempted some of the other stuff we were thinking of doing, and I'm sure we'll get to that stuff at times where there isn't uh, new release stuff for us to go over. Uh, so everybody have a wonderful week, and, uh, and watch this space for more content. Thank you.